0: Shame just it grows exponentially in isolation it does it does and so does trauma the more isolated where which is also a consequence of trauma right because it fosters the shame trauma is the feeling of it's 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 the source of that you're not able to overcome the challenging things that are happening to you and really in order to overcome them you have to be willing to understand that it's It's not your fault that these things are happening to you and to ask for help.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are. In the world. Welcome to Social Congos, a brand new episode. I'm your host, Shalit, together with Diego. Diego, how are you today?
2: I am doing good, actually. This is a very, very busy week. I had to rush home because I was on a, a, a shoot today. So, yeah, made it in time. Glad we are having these weeklies again. And today, with another interesting guest, we are being joined all the way from Massachusetts by Dr. Virginia Limos. And she's a social scientist and researcher with a passion for helping entrepreneurs find their purpose, flow, and grow through inclusive and sustainable business practices. So it's kind of interesting to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, like, like we like that entrepreneurial part before we go on to to the next.
2: Yeah. And and also more on the the mental resilience side. Why I think, because if you look back at the past two, three episodes, we've been talking about a lot about health, right? So we got the physical health, dealing with chronic illness. And one thing that's kind of like Matthew told us in the last episode, you know, that, that mental resilience, and I, I'm curious to hear from uh, Virginia on her, her, what her research has taught us on, you know, that mental resilience. And oh, just the, like we had the learned. Yeah. It just like felt serendipity. Yes. So not to make her wait too long, Virginia. Welcome to Social Convos Hello. And we are so happy to have you. And just to give Sean Luke a, a quick intro on how we met, I actually met Virginia in Portland when I was out on the exchange program. So kind of funny yeah. how things work out, right? So I didn't meet her at she met the other fellows at I I think it was a networking event. I was still yeah. at at work. At
0: Epop, yeah. It was at Epop. Mm-hmm.
2: And then she just invited everyone to a barbecue on a rooftop <laughs> apartment. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's nice.
0: It's true. Uh, it's true. Yeah. I just, re- up until, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was living in Portland, Oregon. I moved there about four years ago for my doctoral residency. My background's in clinical psychology. And after that wrapped up, I got involved in, with the business development community and started a position as programs manager at a nonprofit organization called Accelerate, which focuses on providing women entrepreneurs, small business owners with the tools, resources, and community that they need in order to grow their business. So not so much a focus on launching, but rather growing and scaling their business. So I was in that position. And part of that role was community outreach and engagement. And I was tabling at an, entre- I think it's called the Emerging Professionals Organization through the Portland Business Alliance. And I met a few of the fellows there. It was very serendipitous, right? I heard that word come up. And then I, I'm really passionate about supporting immigrant and diverse populations through, in entrepreneurship. And, was, and, and a couple of the fellows are Brazilian, and I'm Brazilian. And the Brazilian community in Portland is really small. And so when we connected on our cultural identity and our immigrant identities, I was like, you and I, were all going to be best friends. Let's barbecue. Let's explore Portland. And then Diego and I connected through that group. It was, it's just funny how things work out. Or
1: was it the regular barbecue or was it the churrasco?
0: It was a, oh, Diego. Mashup
2: of, yeah. Yeah, mashup of Latin, I don't know.
0: <laughs> it was, Stop. it was, I mean, I wasn't manning the grill. That was, uh, was that, it was Boris? Boris, it was not Boris. Boris manning yeah. the grill. But I lived in this, you know, beautiful apartment building in downtown Portland, and we were able to. Reserve. Oh, there was a
2: beautiful sunset. There. It was
0: a beautiful sunset. We reserved. We got a little spot on the rooftop patio, and we just, we just had a great time it until
2: was, we was, got uh, told by security to
0: to leave because <laughs> we were being too. We were having too much of a good time.
2: <laughs> well, I don't, I don't but course, yeah, I do want to try. I
1: want to want to take a side note and side the mm-hmm. words your heritage, because you are, you're from, originally from Brazil, how did you end up in the US and, and what, what, and so up till now, why did you decide to move from Portland to actually to Massachusetts?
0: So I moved to the United States with my mom back in 1999. I was six years old, so I moved to the U.S. very small. And I actually, we actually landed in New York, and we moved to New Hampshire. So I grew up in Southern New Hampshire. I would say I, I would call Nashville, New Hampshire, my home. Just over the border now, I'm in Massachusetts, in Central Mass, in a little town called Leominster but grew up, you know, in the Northeast and we, I mean, also a very entrepreneurial community. My mom is an is an entrepreneur. She started her own cleaning service business back in the day. And I grew, I, you know, helped with that when I was a kid, as you know, many immigrant communities do. And yeah, there it's there's a very big Brazilian community here in the Northeast. It spans and it's grown and it's evolved over, you know, the past 20 plus years, obviously as it does, but it's re- it's really robust. And I've been very involved, you know, back and forth, right? My immigrant identity is very important to me, but as many immigrant children who moved to the U.S. at a young, young age, I I lived in two worlds, right? I lived in the American white like culture world, a system that I had to learn to navigate at a very, very young age. And, you know, first learning the language, right? I started elementary school in the US, first grade, dove in. I remember trying to communicate with my teachers and, the, and really not being able to. I was living in a very small town called Milford, New Hampshire, and they actually had to launch the their English as a second language program because I was the first student that they had who spoke a different language that they had to teach English to as a second language, and so I, I, I found myself from a very young age.
2: We're already pioneering new ideas.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. I, I remember I was actually having a conversation with my family the other day about how I, I was the first child who non-English speaker. They had to launch the English as a Psycho-Language program. They kept me back a year. So I did the first grade twice, but picked up English pretty quickly as young children do. And then when more children started moving in, again, Brazilian community grew rapidly over in the early 2000s in the Northeast. And there were a lot of children in the same position as I was, you know, coming into the school district and the school, like the, you know, the the staff, they started calling me down to the office to translate for these parents coming in with new children and get children enrolled in the school. And so very, like, again, very from a young age, kind of being put into this uh, role of systems navigator for for immigrant communities in the in the in the Northeast, and so it's a role that I adopted early on. I, I really am very passionate about community building, community building, and supporting and bringing access to those who may not be familiar or fluent with the systems that they're stepping into, making it something that they're able to navigate and develop fluency in so that they can be successful as they, you know, step into new cultures and new environments.
2: Speaking of new cultures and new environments, so you briefly described how you ended up and kind of what you had to deal with in, in New Hampshire. So how much of, the Brazilian culture have you kind of maintained? Have you gone back to Brazil? Like how, how have you perceived that? And mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum, you also moved to Portland, which is yeah. from East coast to West coast. It's also a drastic I think, culture shift. So it how is. would you yeah. compare those two to each other?
0: Oh my gosh, you're asking all the deep questions, great questions, too. So I have been back to Brazil a number, a handful of times since moving to the U.S. I decided to, you know, pursue a very rigorous academic life. And so that I think interfered with my ability to travel and be more present. in with my family, I still have a lot, a, a huge part of my family is still in Brazil, which I I experience as in a loss in a, a lot of ways, not being able to be present, be physically there as much as I would like to be. But it's also afforded me a lot of privilege in, in so many ways and, and knowledge and um, and understanding the world and, and having a different perspective. But anyways, yeah, I, when I'm in Brazil, as much as I haven't been able to spend a lot of time there, I still very much feel like home. And I, I have, I think my my mom and my aunts and uncles that ha, have been here in in the U.S. with me. I, I thank them for that because in my family it was very important that my language and my culture was preserved and that I was exposed to that. And that's not true for for many. Oh, I would say actually a lot of families. It's 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 what's interesting is that the Brazilian. I'll speak to Brazil specifically, but the Brazilian culture in Brazil is very different than the immigrant Brazil culture in the U.S. It's a different, it's a different culture. It's a different way of being. If you think about it, you know, a lot of immigrants come to the U.S. chasing the, you know, quote unquote American dream, the white picket fence, financial security, financial stability, education for their children. And that comes with a sacrifice, a sacrifice in, you know, preserving culture and heritage pres- uh, in, in, this, in this battle of will to survive and to thrive in a country that's not theirs. That's not built for them right and so there's a sacrifice that happens in order to acculturate in order to assimilate with the larger society and i grew up around a lot of families where the parents didn't speak english they spoke portuguese only and the children spoke only english imagine the disconnect there between parent and child where there's there's a complete barrier in communication because the children's completely you know, immersed in American culture, but parents are still um, navigating their own, you know, their their own language, speaking only in Portuguese, and, and, and they struggle to communicate. And that happened a lot. I, I saw many families have to kind of navigate that where child and, and parent, you know, had to find a way to bridge that communication. But then I also saw families where parents all kind of abandoned their cultural identity and fully assimilated to American white culture and sacrificed the language and the culture and the heritage and what they experienced in their home, home culture countries in order to fully immerse in, in their, what American society expected them to be and that's i feel like that's even more of a loss right that the when when you completely give like give away this huge part of your identity that heritage that culture, the beauty of that, that diversity is, is, is really lost and, and the part of ourselves is lost. So in my family, I, I feel truly blessed in so many ways. My, my mom sent me to Brazil <laughs> to live with my aunt for two years when I was a teenager, because I started struggling to be able to, with, with my fluency, essentially, like I, my Portuguese, I could still speak, but I wasn't fluent. And, and she was like, no, no, Go back two years, <laughs> emergency boot camp. Go back, and that that was a really important experience. I have friends there that I still am in contact. With, that I friendships that I established in middle school.
2: Which part of Brazil was this? Or where where did
0: you? Uh, uh. This I I was born in São Paulo, so big metropolitan city. But I went stay with my aunt in a little coastal town. In southern Brazil, in Rio Grande do Sul, called Shangri-La, a suburb of Capão da Canoa. It's very, very small. It's It has very much like, you know. So even like, there,
2: you had like a difference in like yeah your home, the town you were born in uh, and yeah. going on a quote-unquote boot camp.
0: <laughs> <laughs> an immersive boot camp it totally was and it was very different you know that the school structure I, structure i was in the seventh eighth grade and i was used to the academic year in the u.s being from september to june all of a sudden i go there and the academic year there is from it's from march to september because That's the summer. all different it's all different. The four
1: seasons are different.
0: The sport right? seasons are different. Are different Summer. All of a sudden, my winter is summertime, and I'm celebrating the holidays on the beach. You know, getting my tan on. All in all, I think like the the beauty of that is that I I reclaim my culture, right? My language, my family roots. I I strengthen that. I also develop new friendships, and it, it make uh, and I think a theme for tonight that we're talking about too, is resilience. It, it made me adaptable. I think it made me flexible and really appreciative of the differences in perspectives and way of being and way of living and and the beauty in that, right? A marker of resilience is being able to adapt. And so I think I, I, and I feel very fortunate to have had these very diverse and wide range of experiences because I can come into a situation and adapt pretty quickly to the circumstances in my environment.
1: I want to quickly dive into that because there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a, a, a word that you mentioned and you specifically said assimilate. And there's a very major difference between assimilation and integration. And yeah. often when we talk about policy making, it's always integration. We need to integrate immigrants, we need to immigrate, integrate, integrate. And we never really talk about assimilate. And to my personal experience, I also assimilated to the point that I didn't want to say where my heritage is from because I didn't want to have the conversations and I wanted to continue on with the conversation we were having. So what I would like, I'm, I'm very interested in, and I also don't know if you research this from a, from a um, scientific perspective, yeah. but do you feel like assimilating into culture is 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 better than integrating when it comes to your know, business in, in in a new place where you're you're going to, or do you feel like we should be very careful enough to assimilate too much like you mentioned with which assimilation often comes to sacrifice of losing your heritage, so how do you feel between assimilation and integration right. when it comes to especially entrepreneurship
0: that's a great question assimilation and integration are very two different or are, are very different experiences where integration is the i think like the the welding of two different things or or various different things but as component parts of something greater that still maintain the integrity of what they are right that's integration that's really beautiful it's it's it integration think interdependency right it, it, it each each being being what they are but coming together to create something different or something greater whereas assimilation it's becoming something a part of a greater whole at the expense of what you are. Like you don't maintain the integrity of your core So it's gain. like
2: being taken over. Like-
0: exactly. Exactly. And if we like just sitting with that, I don't know about you. For me, like it, it hurts. It physically hurts. I, I so yes, My per, I, my personal experience and opinion is integration much better than assimilation where integration you don't have to sacrifice who and what you are assimilation does come with that sacrifice and it comes with a loss right of, of a core being or a core entity whatever that may be and i think when it comes to entrepreneurship integration allows for differentiation right and we are now in a very competitive marketplace especially post-covid where you have to show up and be different than your competitors. And that's just a reality. You have to show up and be authentic in who you are, being part of a greater whole, whether that's a, a business, business ecosystem, the digital business ecosystem is a whole nother thing, right? You have to stand out. You have to show up. You have to show up authentically and in your ingenuity in order to draw in your customers and your consumers in a way that they can relate to you. And in a way that, you know, you're not going to lose their attention or their loyalty or their engagement with you to competitors that are just like you, right? Because then you, you lose, you lose traction essentially. And so again, fan of integration, right? You have to integrate into the system of the dynamics of the business that you're developing and how it fits into the larger business and development environment and ecosystem and, and resources available to you. But you shouldn't do that at the expense of what the, the business is doing and the problem that it's solving for, as well as its vision, mission, and values, which today is, are the markers of any brand identity, right? You have to have a sense of self, right? The business has to have a sense of self in order to stand up and compete in this very, you know, robust marketplace yeah, that we look. Yeah,
2: between in. all the noise, you, you
0: yeah, stand out.
2: I, I want to quickly like link that assimilation and, res- and resilience part, right? Because you, you basically, you, you, you're almost like, nope, you're going back. And that kind of helped you build that resilience. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to know from what you've experienced or from what you've seen, how other immigrants kind of operate in the, this, in the US society, like, is it, are they pressured, like, how can they build that resilience, that mental resilience? Because you kind of got to see both sides of the coin and mm-hmm. you are forced to like nurture both sides of the coin. Whereas they, they're kind of pressured by society in that, like, how, how can they break out, how can they, like, I would, I will not say keep a guard but like be more open-minded to build up those, you know, that resilience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great question. Resilience, hmm. I think I'll take a step back and talk first about stress, distress, and trauma. Because I don't think you can have a conversation about resilience without just recognizing the fact that being an immigrant is, in and it of itself, a pretty traumatic event. It, 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 not like there's big T trauma and small T trauma, and and you know I think being an immigrant can encompass all of that. But it's a you get a culture shock, right? You you go from what you know to something that you completely don't know, and lots of uncertainty and lots of discrimination comes up. It's it's true we live in a in the world, and I think especially in the U.S., I mean, we've seen that there's a lot of a lot of assaults on immigrant and diverse populations, and by pop folks. And so, I think that it's important to honor that. And at the core of trauma is shame, essentially, in, in my perspective. And I think a lot of immigrants, especially coming into this white culture, which is very idealistic, it has a lot of ideals that is that are very hard to attain and that puts you down if you don't reach those unreachable ideals right if you if you look on instagram if you look on tiktok wherever you, you know whatever social media you're consuming it's it's all that all this like fomo yolo culture very very beautiful you know even filters now like completely alter what people look like and what is what is real And it fosters the sense of insufficiency, of scarcity is a big term too, like growth mindset versus scarcity mindset. I'm I'm sure you've heard. But it fosters the sense of like I'm not enough. And in order to be enough, I I need to, you know, alter completely who I am. Or You know, there's the hustle culture too, but it's constantly chasing after something that is very superficial, that's very hard to achieve. And at the end of the day, it may not even really align with your values and your belief systems and who you are, right? And so that's the sacrifice that you ultimately people are chasing something that's unsustainable, inviolable, and completely disaligned with who they are as human beings at their core, which are the core beliefs and their value systems. And so this fosters shame and the sense of like, I can't show up authentically. I can't be who I am in this society and culture that doesn't value how I show up in this space. And that wasn't created for me. And that causes stress and that causes distress and that can lead to trauma, which then leads to anxiety, worry, fatigue, depression, insomnia—all of these chronic health conditions that we see people experiencing. And that's all very true. That and and think of you know that's just the that's just the immigrant. Let's I'm speaking specifically to that experience, but and then you're also coming in and carrying the baggage of the traumas that you may have left behind in your home country, and so, how do you make sense of all of this right? Resilience is isn't the ability to avoid or prevent trauma or difficult things from happening the uh, to clarify, resilience is the ability to adapt to stressful and distressing situations. And the first step towards that is knowing who you are and what your values are and and being very clear about where your boundaries lie, right? What is me, what is you, and what is us? And in that, allowing that to lead the way or, or at least inform how you go about your day-to-day life and how you take care of yourself, right? It, for me, for example, culture and my heritage is really important to me. So I let that dictate how I choose to live my daily life. Um, and also just being aware that this is a, this is happening. This is real. This isn't just all in our heads, these emotional experiences and this this shock of like, I'm being discriminated against. They say microaggressions, if you have to heard. If, if you have, yeah, great. Progressions, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. It's, it's the little harmful things that happen that people say to you on a day-to-day basis, the, the sh- change in tone that people take on with you, specifically just because you have an accent, right? Or, or someone who speaks louder when you're trying to get clarifying information, but they s- just repeat the same thing at a louder tone. I don't know about. I've experienced. It, I don't know about y'all, but it's the most infuriating thing because it's it's it, there. They, it's essentially a sense of like, I'm not dumb. I can understand you. Speaking louder isn't going to may help me understand what you're trying to tell me or or what we're trying to communicate. But I think the first step to under to addressing to building resilience is recognizing that these experiences are real. That we're not just crazy. Like that. this is not, people may try to, you know, say this doesn't happen. It's all in your head. It's not. It's not. And so breaking down the shame behind that, not blaming the self or the, the community, right? Their strength in numbers, by the way. That's the that's next step is where I'm going is like finding your community, finding people that you identify with that can help you preserve your identity and the integrity of who you are and where you come from. That is so important in speaking to these experiences. Shame just it grows exponentially in isolation. It does, it does. And so does trauma, the more isolated where, which is also a consequence of trauma, right? Because it fosters the shame. Trauma is the feeling of it's 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 the sense that you're not able to overcome the challenging things that are happening to you. And really, in order to overcome them, you have to be willing to understand that it's it's not your fault that these things are happening to you and to ask for help. And so to counteract and build resilience growth and resilience they're fostered in collaboration and community they're fostered in dialogue and in understanding your values and preserving them and surprisingly also taking risks of being willing to to do the hard things in service of aligning with who you are that makes sense
2: yes you actually made the link for us already, because I wanted to ask next, like, how does community development, community building play a role into this? So to, to, you know, double down on, on that part, like you spoke about values, just, you know, knowing what your values are and, you know, finding a community. Mm-hmm. And then the next question for me comes up, like, how can a community like define their values? Because it's made up individual components, uh, individual people. Uh, mm-hmm. Although they may have you know some common heritage, they're still individuals uh, with their own you know ideals. So how can you shape or form or communicate values as a community as you develop it?
0: I I mean I think the key word here is communication. It's putting yourself out there, right? And I think that that's really hard, especially in the in the context that we're speaking of in in addressing. Things like shame, right? It's hard to show up and be yourself and put yourself out there if you feel ashamed of who you are. But at the same time, it's the antidote. It's the cure for shame. Like you putting yourself out there, yeah, you risk rejection and people not accepting you. And guess what? That's okay. Not everybody's gonna like you, but it's in putting yourself out that you identify you find people that you can relate to and speaking essentially your truth and 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 speaking to your values and how you want to you know, exist in the world and with whom.
1: So in, in this sense, how is shame different from being vulnerable?
0: Vulnerable. Oh, I love, have you heard of Brene Brown?
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. So, so in, light of, in light of Brene Brown's TED Talk, Brown. when we talk about shame, because I'm, and these are like really small differences between yeah. shame and vulnerability. So I was wondering like how, how what what's the difference there? if we look from it, and of course, you're allowed to use it from a psychology, mm-hmm. psychological perspective as well. So, so because I, I'm wondering sometimes if it's shame or it's just being afraid to be vulnerable, being afraid to lose a certain status. Because for an immigrant, like you work hard for a certain status. Yeah, so once you've achieved it, it's, it's sometimes in some cases, people don't want to be vulnerable because that would allow somebody else to, to, to take their place or compete. Instead of it just being shame that they don't want to. So is there some some resemblance or is it, should, should we also be careful to use those words interchangeably?
0: I would say, be careful of using those words interchangeably. You're, you're, you're spot on Jean-Luc. I think shame comes from fear, fear of rejection. Fear of abandonment, fear of discrimination, fear of violence. I mean, those are all very true and real things. And I think especially immigrant communities ex- experience that a lot, right? There's a certain level of risk. And, and this isn't even getting into like immigrants of undocumented status, right? And that that has its own feeling of like persecution. Just the term illegal. Illegal alien to me is just so unsettling, so unsettling, and yeah, you know we still use terms like this, and it, it literally alienates people. It makes them feel like it that they are, they are wrong, and shame is related to self worth, right? It's like I'm not worthy. I'm I'm at not just. I, it's dangerous for me to put myself out there, but it's also that I won't be valued it doesn't like i am not a person of value like when well, that's not true we're all equally valuable right we are li- endlessly valuable as human beings but there there's a tag on that value when it comes to i think being a uh, there's a price tag that comes with being an immigrant in so many ways where you do have to battle for it where you there is this very very cutthroat competitive feel right to be to being an immigrant and really you fight to survive every day and when you reach a certain level of success it get I feel like it it gets even more cutthroat because it's like I did this there's pride there right there's there's pride like I overcame and it almost like from that you point, people look down on the other folks that are coming in and trying to to get, you know, do their own thing. And they're like, it's a rite of passage. I had to do it. So you have to do it. You have to go through it, too. Right. So figure it out. And I I that, that to me is so disheartening. Again, I, I, I hold the belief that growth happens in collaboration and in community. And, and when we help each other out, we all grow and succeed. But there is this very competitive, like, you, I got here because of me. Nobody helped me. So I'm not going to help you, number one. Number two, there's just not, I feel like it's that scarcity mindset where it's like, there's not enough even for me. How am I going to give Lenji a hand when I barely helping myself? Right. There, there's not enough. There's just not enough. And and to, that's also really heartbreaking because there is enough. We do like it, it, there there is enough to go around. And the more we give, the more we receive. And that's a fundamental law of the universe. At least how I, I experienced the universe. I found even being here today, having this conversation, this feels like an like a, a consequence of me being like, let, yes. Let's, let's join forces. Let's do this together. Let's be here together. But I, I, f- I forget the, the original question. This is where we are right, right now. Remind me.
1: No, no, no. Yeah, I answered it quite well. So if I got it correctly, like vulnerability is more from fear and mm. shame is more from, from self-worth.
0: That this was all about shame. So vulnerability, vulnerability is actually the only way to really wholehearted living. It's about taking risks. It's about putting yourself out there and showing up authentically, even when the circumstances and situation are like, don't feel good. It's about putting yourself in the way of opportunity at risk of discomfort. Right? So let me give an example. I was tabling that day right at, at the EPOP event where I met the YLI fellows. And to be honest, it had been a long day. I actually just wanted to go home. I was really tired. I wanted to go home. I was ready for that clock to, to hit, you know, 7 p.m. so I could go home, have myself a cup of tea and rest. And in order to connect on a human level, you have to, you know, give a bit more of yourself than you are maybe in, in that moment, willing to, you have to be vulnerable. And so when I forget, I it might've been Boris. I'm not sure. Somebody came up to my table and was like, Hey, these fellows are actually going to be here, you know, in half an hour, you should hang out. And I was like, I don't want to have to talk about myself or introduce myself or tell the story about myself. What if, what if they don't like me? What if they think about all the statements of what it,
2: Yeah, the risk of rejection.
0: The risk of rejection. What if like this, I mean, this doesn't pan out. Or what if I, they judge me or what, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. It's about kind of like saying, well, it's the opposite of that scarcity. It's like, well, if they like me, they like me. If they don't, they don't. I'm willing to still put put myself out there and be vulnerable and and kind of see where this goes. And if, if it's something that's, you know, going to bring wholesome, meaningful connection and experiences, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, it's vulnerability leads to opportunity, to meaning making, to genuine authentic connection, whereas shame leads to isolation, lack of risk taking, and disconnection. Two very different experiences.
2: Just looking at jean Luke if that clarifies that part for him because then I want to make the link because you mentioned risk a couple of yeah. times now risk and, mm-hmm. uh, and this in the context of you know this mental resilience this you mm-hmm. know a, on a personal level and one thing that plays in the topic of entrepreneurship is risk that's a big mm-hmm. factor I'm curious mm-hmm. to see because you yourself have gone from, you know, the research part to your own entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So how has that concept of risk kind of translated from one to the other for you?
0: Oh, Jean-Luc, are you jumping in before I I dive into that one? Because that's a whole nother monologue. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll go go for it. So I think today I I am a fan and I'll I'll tell the story, but I'm a fan of the term calculated risk. Risk is necessary. Risk is necessary. This is especially in entrepreneurship. You need to put yourself out there. You need to give more than you're getting in order to get more back you right? have a return you have to invest in order to get a return on your investment and that investment might be time or resources or bandwidth or as we all know sleep uh, <laughs> sometimes you sacrifice sleep in service of building our business and that happens i don't know a single entrepreneur that doesn't sacrifice or give something more than they have in order to you know experience or build something bigger than they could ever even imagine or they envision right and to be honest i failed miserably my first round through entrepreneurship and i mean hardcore like hardcore hardcore and i so after i wrapped up my residency this was you know pandemic i i I was in healthcare when the, when COVID hit y'all, it was very intense and it was very enlightening that I was at point that I was like, I don't want to be in healthcare. There's so much burnout. There's so much who there's not enough support for the practitioners who are in the front lines, you know, supporting our communities. And I had nothing left to give at that point. When you reach that point of, you know, burnout, essentially where you give and you give and you give and you give, and there's just not enough support around you, it's hard to continue giving, right? You're depleted. And so I decided to take six months off between the end of my residency and the postdoc that I had lined up to rest. And it was great. I was like, I'm going to rest, but I'm restless. I'm a restless individual. And that's me. And that is who I am. And I own it now. And I was, and I had a friend at the time who said, I am working Grubhub. I'm doing deliveries. And I had dabbled in doing deliveries too at the time, you know, COVID era. I needed to make some residents don't get paid very much, believe it or not. We just don't. And so I needed to have some side income. I was doing deliveries too. And he was like, hey, you know, online ordering platforms are abusing small business owners and restaurant owners. They are,
1: uh, They they take yeah. it to same.
0: It's, it's over 25%. It's over 25% of the, uh, but, ah, oh, it's so predatory. Right. And it's
1: already had 30 odds even or something. It was, it was yeah.
0: listen to this though. And this is where research comes in for me. It, so when small businesses, their doors were closing and these online ordering platforms are thriving, you have to question. You have to question the system. Why? Why are you thriving? And why are their doors closing? If you're thriving, shouldn't they be thriving? Think about it, right? If you're getting a lot of orders, technically aren't they supposed to be getting those orders? No, not to call out online ordering platforms, but to only calling out online ordering platforms. Their cut is 25 to 30% where small businesses, restaurants, their profit margins are 5 to 7%. If you take 30% of the, the, the revenues for their orders, you're cutting, you're, you're annihilating them. You're annihilating them. Small businesses. Not
1: to mention that they have to pay taxes. Right.
0: They have to pay taxes. And you know what the worst part is? It can be prevented. It doesn't have to be that way. It's only that way because that's how they've set up their fee structures and built their business around it. So it's very difficult to change. And so th- like what we did, he was like, I want to build an online ordering platform. We're going to change how we do, how it's done. We're going to figure this out. And I was like, cool. I want to do something completely different. I want to not be a clinical psychologist right now. Let's launch a startup tech company. And so we did that. I. I, I became very passionate about social impact entrepreneurship. I was like, let's go solve this problem. And then when we figured out that we could do it, we could change the fee structure The the technology's there. Like, it's not about the technology. It's not about the bit like that it's about business practices and this is where the inclusive and sustainable business practices comes in because I was like, when I figured out that it's, it's choice, you choose to help or you choose to hurt. That's it. And if you choose to help, you can figure out how to build your business and engage in practices where everybody wins. You can. And it leads to long term and sustainable growth. Guess what? The online ordering platforms are really struggling. They're going to continue to struggle because they've built fee structures that are sustainable when they depend on small restaurants to survive. If they're closing their doors, at the end of the day, all they can do is bump up their fees. That's how they built their fee structures. And that's only gonna close down what they depend on at the end of the day in order to make money. See how it's unsustainable? It's really about choice and foresight. You have to think about the consequences of how you build your business when you're building your business. People don't think about that, but it's actually like a critical part and so we built this business, and guess what? We also didn't have foresight about different types of things, and that—that's part of the entrepreneurial journey. For example, it's really expensive to build an app. At the, at the
1: <laughs> it's A workable business. app that's, could, according to <laughs> that's, all the regulations, yeah.
0: Uh, that's according that to that the, the proper
1: security, yes.
0: Yes, that can process online payments. That can scale. The question about any business if you, because small businesses any type of entrepreneurial journey is in a it really it, at the end of the day let's be real financial freedom right isn't that what everybody's after people want time and financial freedom so that they can spend time doing the things that they actually want to be doing instead of trading your time for money working a nine to five right and so if you think about you know social justice and immigrants chasing entrepreneurial journeys. It's about security. It's about stability. It's about going from surviving to thriving. It's about generational wealth attainment. This is what it's about. It's about breaking the cycles of disenfranchisement, disempowerment and, and poverty. This is what it's about, y'all. Like This is what it's about. And de- for going back to the entrepreneurial journey, developing an app that is sustainable and scalable the barriers cost that we were priced out we were priced and and the the by the way software development that system is also really predatory if you've ever taken your car to the mechanic not knowing anything about the car they could say you know the the valve line gasket is busted and you're like sure you know great like Fixed that part doesn't exist, but I wouldn't know. You could talk to a software developer, an app developer, and they could be like, "Your app needs cha 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 in order to be scalable," and you have your and, and it costs twenty five thousand hundred billion dollars more to do that. And you're like, "Great!" If you're not a coder and you don't know, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna find out very quickly that you have to kind of have the b- basic foundational knowledge of. App development, in order to just have conversations with app developers and be like, no, no, that's not what I want, and I can't tell you how many of those conversations I had. But either way, we were priced out. It was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to develop a sustainable and inclusive app with a an equitable fee structure for small businesses, and we were able to raise about eighty thousand before we went broke because we were dedicating over, you know, for. I mean, I was working. I was like, I I want to take a break. I started working 24-7 as an entrepreneur. <laughs> right? That's what you do. <laughs>
1: Such an interesting conversation. It really yeah. is. It really is. Yeah. Because I, and, and, and this is also like coming from, from my personal background. I want to bootstrap everything. Yeah. So I find it really interesting. But this is the same thing that happened to me with my first business. Is that I totally...
0: Alone,
1: we're not alone. I totally overspent, and and here's the thing: even though I could have the product made locally, I imported it, which was totally unnecessary. But just I was convinced I needed a certain quality, just like you were convinced you needed a certain quality of an app. Yeah, you could have also built the same app for twenty five hundred, and when you had over a K- 100K revenue could have upgraded the app. But yeah. it's the first mindset that you, we had discussions and at a certain point I had a discussion with my business partner in the first, and he was talking about, we need business cards. I need a new laptop. And in the end, we you totally we totally overspent on the product, on the base product. And it wasn't feasible to break even. It, it's, it costs months and months to break even. Whereas we could have done a completely different route, but that's, that's the only way of learning. And I mean, there's so, so many, there's a reason why they have a platform called Fuck Up Nights, where people talk about entrepreneurs, how they, how they messed up.
0: What, what is it? What is it called?
1: Uh, Fucked Up Nights, I think, right,
2: yeah. Diego? Yeah.
0: Drop that. Drop that in the chat. I need that link so bad. Not going to like anything.
2: I think think it's international. They they, they have like. Oh my gosh. In different parts of the world. I can feel. I can feel the.
0: I can feel the shame leaving my body. See this is. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like it's not what we talk about. So so in entrepreneurship. Like in entrepreneurship. uh, We don't talk about like our failures. We we just don't. We tell like hey this went well. This went cool. This is. Look! Look at! Look at amazing how this amazing tech company built something in, in Silicon Valley. They don't talk about the ninety percent of uh, of businesses that just completely fail and, fail. and, and get these fail. crazy amounts of funding and, and never make it. It, it, you know. it doesn't get talked about. And <sighs> I have to be honest, like I've done so many, and I really got upset once. I got upset because basically Gary Vaynerchuk once said. If you will work for a boss, you're not an entrepreneur. Like I was so upset by that statement, like, yeah, but I run I run a business. And... and he was like, no, as long as you're working for a boss and at the end of the month, you're getting a salary, you're not an entrepreneur. And you have to understand that to, to you have to experience that to understand what, what he means, means by that. And for me, I really only started becoming... More successful as an entrepreneur when I was actually that was my only thing and my only main focus instead of doing it on the side yeah. and I had many so yes it's good for you to know that I had many well some are not considered failures but in my eyes where I was where I wanted to go and what I actually achieved completely don't line up so <laughs> failures all the shame
0: or growth opportunities
1: Oh, I never feel. I have never feel. No, you've
0: learned, or they're learning opportunities, and I think that that's what entrepreneurship taught me. You know, I came from honestly psychology, an entrepreneur, like I was a clinical, I was in clinical practice, I was a therapist for seven, six, seven years, and what, what, what just blew my mind was I generally shift that I made really from going from being a therapist to being an entrepreneur was from focusing on pathology to focusing on growth. How can, like, so, like, pathology illness, right? And growth, like, how can I make this better? Right, how how could this improve? It's already pretty good, but how can it be better? And it blew my mind in just the reframe from failure or the, let's reframe trauma and resilience shame, vulnerability, pathology, growth. It's a shift. It's a gentle shift, but it's just enough to make it feel realistic, to make it feel attainable, to make it feel something like you can accomplish. And I, like I said, I failed, I radically failed. And I mean that in the sense of like, I did not reach my my desired outcome, did not. I I wanted to have this beautiful, sustainable, scalable platform on the Laravel, you know, a cloud-based operating system. And it just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't attainable, right? But I learned so much along the way. I found, I found, I learned how I was strong and what I could actually accomplish. Even having these outlandish goals, I didn't, I didn't reach those goals, but the ones that I did, man, did I figure out how strong I was and what I was capable of in a very different environment, in a different setting. So I feel like entrepreneurship, it's not just a pathway for generational wealth attainment. It's also a pathway for self-understanding, like building resilience. If that's the mindset that you're going into it with, though, because you will face a lot of really, really hard challenges and setbacks. And it requires vulnerability and creative problem solving and asking for help and being like, hey, Diego, do you know such and such type of person or or, or resource that I can tap into because I cannot figure this one out, man? I can't. And it, and it takes that, that willingness. It really does take that willingness at the end of the day.
2: And this comes back to what you mentioned before, the communication, the community building, building a network. So it's, it's kind of all kind of intertwined. And I love to hear about the parallels that you've kind of experienced from, you know, where you were and your journey now. And wow, the time went so fast. But we have a final section of our show called Over Under. But before we go to that, I just saw a few comments come in. I think the comments from Facebook popped in very late. But apparently, you already answered some of those. But there's one question here from Glow. I hope I pronounced it correctly. How can I integrate my small business in a very conservative community without losing my place among my peers and without losing my identity or my heritage?
0: Oh wow! That that's that's quite quite the endeavor, right? To integrate into your community while also preserving where you're coming from, especially a a very conservative community, very conservative community. The biggest way that I found of preserving core beliefs, core identity, and core values as you launch into any type of business community is building it into your mission, vision, and values. It's not just like There's you have a product or service, right? You have an offering for your business. That is not your business. Okay. Let's separate these two. The the, your product or service is essentially what you're offering as a solution to the pro to a problem that your community has, right? So a restaurant feeds our community. That's the problem. People are hungry, they feed them. But the restaurant is the business, the food is the product the experience is the product but the business entity can value for example sustainable business practices and food right so they offer organic products so if when you build like take a step back from the product or service that you're offering and when you're building your business it also makes you more resilient and agile in doing so because you can your business can offer any type of product or service think about it. If you're, if you have a restaurant, but you want to launch your own coffee brand, launch your own coffee brand. The business that's, that's launching those products or services are still the same. So when you build your business, when you launch, you know, you know, Rita's Taqueria, what does Rita's Taqueria stand for? Right? What does Rita stand for? Does she stand for, you, you know, what does, and if it's community, if you stand for your community, then, then Build and when you build your website and your about page when you're like this is what I'm about Rita's Taqueria values community and this is where I come from and my heritage is what I value and I build this into my business and I embody it in my products and services in this way join me
2: I I think that's a very good way to put it like very few starting businesses especially kind of neglect coming up, you know, with their mission, vision, and especially values to translate that. Just to, to recap, I, I watch a lot of, you know, YouTube and forgot her name, but she she was on Graham Stephan's show, sean look, I'll, I'll look it back up, but what she essentially said, she has core values and every decision she evaluates, it, they reflect back on the values. I thought a lot. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah I saw that episode,
2: yeah. yeah so and that that kind of click like you know it it's your system your decision matrix basically exactly
0: another way another way for me is is your theory of change when when theory of change modeling, so you start here these are your values these are this is the impact that you want to have because your mission is your mission statement what impact do you want your business to have your vision is what do you envision this to be in the long term, right? And then your values is, are like, what do you stand for? And every decision you make, right? From your From your hiring practices, to your sourcing practices, to how you, to the seating arrangements, to the events you produce. They're informed, I think, b- by by your values. If my 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 business values were like collaboration, com- collaboration, growth, and something else that I'm forgetting, but everything that we did was to was informed by collaborative practices and fostering growth. That's it. It can be simple. Keep it uh, and very very clear. Keep, to who who posed the question, three core values. That's it. And then find your values first, write your mission statement, then write your vision statement. Start with your core values because they inform the others.
2: Perfect. Very clear action. Mm-hmm. With that being said, Shanluk, I think we can do one over under. I think each. we can only do one, yeah. yeah.
1: Do you want us to kick off or do you want me
2: to kick Yeah, I can kick off. So Virginia, we're going to yeah. ask you, throw a topic at you. You just tell them if you think it's something overrated or underrated. And if it's controversial, you may briefly elaborate on it just for fun, but we'll keep this as short as possible. So mine, from listening to your story a bit, software as a service, overrated or underrated? Underrated.
0: (laughs) I think it's underrated. It could, I, and I say this, like, there's a lot of value in it, but you have to know what value it has and how to leverage it to your benefit. Don't just dive in and do all of it, be selective, do your research, but it's really, it's a really powerful, they're really powerful tools.
1: Okay. I'm going to try to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation. Brazilian beaches, overrated or underrated?
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, They're amazing. So I, I guess perfection, I'm going to stray away. <laughs> Uh, no, no,
1: underrated for the fact.
0: Underrated, underrated. You can't, there's, there's no way to comment on it without being there, my friends. So underrated, go see for yourself.
2: Agreed. You've been there now, last uh, a few months ago, Chad looked too.
0: What do you think?
1: Is it underrated or overrated? Well, I definitely think it's underrated. I think it's underrated because there's so much attention to Rio. And there's so many other good beaches in Brazil that people really don't know about. i a shame. Yeah. I've been to Fortaleza, which is mm-hmm. an awesome beach. Quite heavy, but awesome beach. Mm-hmm. And I've been to, wow, I forgot, I forgot the name already, but a little bit north of Belém. Belém, mm, yeah. A very, free, very, very great beach as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Brazil, Salina, beautiful Salina López, I think, Salina
0: López, my, one of my bucket lists is to just go travel Brazil and get to know the, the, the nature, the beautiful, beautiful nature that it has to offer. Definitely underrated.
2: Awesome. We should plan a road trip once you get head down South again.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: But uh, with that being said, Virginia, it has been therapeutic to listen to you. On that note, before we close off, is there anything you'd like to share with us what you're working on now? Have you shifted anything? At- where can people connect with you?
0: Absolutely. You can connect with me on my Instagram page, Therapeutic Doses. I have linked in my Instagram page. This says my handle. My LinkedIn account as well, so you can reach me there. You can also just shoot me a DM and we'll go from there. I am working on a collaborative project while I take on supporting my own family's business. I'm doing operations management, but working on establishing a collaborative community and a resource center for Brazilian immigrants in the Massachusetts space. So that'll that's in the works and I'll make sure to 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 share more about that as it as it you know as it develops and grows. Awesome.
1: Awesome. So we really want to thank you for, for being you. here and joining us. Diego it was a pleasure as always. And we will be seeing you back on social confos next week. Of course, I also want to close with a comment of I learned that it's a sexy show, not for the <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> Next week. Bye bye. It's
0: been an honor, y'all. Thank you so much.